This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukra, and fellow rioter Alice Burton. We're recording today's podcast on Thursday, July 19th. Hello, Alice. How are you doing today? I'm swell. How are you doing, Kim? I am I am doing okay. I uh, had a little incident this week where I tripped and hurt my foot, so I'm a little hobbly, but otherwise I'm I'm doing good. Oh no, you gotta elevate that. That's important. I did. I have been doing that a lot. I've been elevating and uh, reading books and watching TV for when I have when I'm able. So that's all right. Tell me, uh, do you, we do have follow up because we actually read some books this week. So tell me about what you have read. Oh yeah. So I finished uh, Drinking in America uh, by Mark Edward Lender, not the other Drinking in America by I believe Susan Cheever. Um, it was really good. Gave me all the kind of like facts and background on why we drink what we drink, uh, meaning alcohol, uh, in America and how um, the cocktail was invented here, which I did not know before that. I think that's one of those like facts that people throw around, but I don't drink a lot anyway. So I don't know. I wasn't aware. Um, But yeah, it was really great. And obviously, again, with my involvement with kind of like the Francis Willard House Museum, and she was the president of the Women's Christian Temperance Union. So I felt like uh, now I have some good sort of facts to back up, like why temperance was important uh, at the time that it was. What about you? Excellent. Yeah. So I actually finished two books that we talked about on uh, the last podcast, one that I mentioned in new books, and then one that I you talked about, I think, in our revolutionary history. Um, so the new book that I actually read and finished is called From the Corner of the Oval by Beck Dory Stein. And it is an Obama administration memoir. Um, Beck Dory Stein is a, was a stenographer in the Obama administration. Uh, and she got that job like via an ad on Craigslist um, and then was a stenographer in the administration and just got to attend all of these crazy important world events. Um, but the memoir is super, um, it's almost like chiclet if chick like chiclet in a memoir, which I say that in a complimentary way, not in a derogatory way, because I really thought it was lovely. Uh, it's very funny and charming. And she like has all these like love affairs and stuff um, kind of set against the backdrop of like getting to ride on Marine One with Barack Obama on her birthday. So um, it was just really, it was delightful. It was very funny. Um, and I read it very quickly. I was reading it on the treadmill at the gym and then I stayed up late one night to finish it because I liked it. Uh, so that one was From the Corner of the Oval by Beck Dory Stein. And then the book you mentioned that I got so excited about that I found it at a used bookstore and bought it was uh, Never Caught, The Washington's Relentless Pursuit of Their Runaway Slave Ona Judge by Erica Armstrong Dunbar, uh, which is a story about a young woman named Ona Judd who, or Judge who was a slave to George, George and Martha Washington. And when they were uh, in Philadelphia, she decided to run away. And she spent the rest of her life uh, as a fugitive slave, uh, but was never actually caught by the Washingtons until she lived out the rest of her life um, in freedom, although also nervous uh, about potentially being returned. And uh, it is great. It is such, such a good book. Um, It is uh, 
her her story is is hard to tell because she was a black woman and a slave, and so she, there's not a lot of record of it. So what um, the author does is like gives you a really full picture of what life was like for um, slave women at that time, particularly ones who would have been kind of in the circles of people like George Washington. Um, and it's very it's very feminist. It talks explicitly about like what was different for female slaves and female black women at that time, um, and just it's very good and. Not super long, so you can kind of jump into it and get through and hear this one really interesting story. I'm um, a, a nice, uh, not nice, um, a new kind of story about George Washington that a, another side of him that I think is really interesting. Um, so yeah, that one I definitely now that I've read it, I can highly recommend. Never Caught by Erica Armstrong Dunbar. I was so jealous when I saw via Instagram that you had bought that um, because I, of course, had not actually read it. I was just like, this looks great. And I really like Eric Armstrong Dunbar's website. Um, but I mean, I read like the first, I don't know, few pages and I was like, oh, this is really well written. Um, but yeah, I'm, really I'm so glad that you liked it so much. Have you seen the web series Ask a Slave? Um, which is based on this woman who did it. Um, she's this, uh, this black woman who worked at the sort of like modern day Mount Vernon historical site. And so she did this web series, um, basically like using like questions that people would ask her a lot, like on a day-to-day basis. And they're like horrific questions, but she's basically saying like, Hey, this is what life was actually like, you know, like for enslaved people on like at Mount Vernon. And it was terrible. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's just like another Another side to that whole, uh, or, or fleshing out more of that book. Um, but anyway, it's a really good series, Ask a Slave. Interesting. All right, you're up for the giveaway. Oh, I am. Okay, yes, we are having a giveaway. Well, meaning Book Riot is. So it's it's a YA fiction <laughs> and nonfiction uh, giveaway. We're giving away $500 of the year's best, again, YA fiction and nonfiction selected by Kelly Jensen, who is a former YA librarian and current Book Riot YA expert. Um, this giveaway ends July 31st. So I think this is coming out on the 24th. Is that right? Great. So you still have seven days, seven full days to go to bookriot.com slash 500YA giveaway to enter. And again, this is to enter to win $500 of the year's best YA fiction and nonfiction. And let me tell you, Sorry, I just like real quickly want to say that YA nonfiction, I feel like sometimes is better than adult nonfiction because sometimes you just want to get like kind of just to the heart of something. Mm -hmm. And I feel like YA nonfiction can do a really great job with that. So um, again, to enter, go to bookriot.com slash 500 YA giveaway by July 31st. Thanks. That makes me think we should do a future episode on YA nonfiction. Um, but it has to be in the future because I need to do some research and check out some books and read them because that is definitely a hole in my nonfiction reading for sure. But um, yeah, like just gets to the point of things. Then storytelling is really important in those books. And so, yeah, I think that's great. Uh, all right. So now we're done with that. We're going to hop into our first segment, which uh, every week is new books. So we talk about books that are coming out now, coming out recently, um, that we think are interesting or that we've had a chance to peek at and see if they're good. So uh, Alice is up first. Yeah. So my pick uh, came out this week, July 17th from Simon and & Schuster, and it's called Barons of the Sea by Stephen, I'm going to go with Ujifusa. 
Uh, so what the publisher says is in the grand tra- tradition of David, are we going with McCullough? Or Ma- yeah, let's say that. I think so. David McCullough and Ron Chernow, the sweeping story of the 19th century American dynasties who battled for dominance of the tea and opium trades. So essentially what this book is about, um, the reason it's called Barons of the Sea, is it because in the middle of the 1800s, a lot of um, money was being made with trade uh, with China, specifically with um, uh, Canton, I believe, is that how we're pronouncing it? Um, anyway, so that journey from New York to Canton took about six months normally. So the way that you could get ahead was by having the fastest ship, right? So this is all about technology. So what this book is about is kind of like the people who were able to, who were fighting each other to have the fastest ships and, you know, make that turnaround with trade like the fastest possible. It also, it talks about the opium wars, which if you don't know about them, they are fascinating and horrible. Um, I started this book and I really love it. Um, I really want to finish it he kind of also goes into right like the uh american dynasties there is someone whose last name is delano who i believe is an ancestor of franklin delano roosevelt um and kind of like how the people who are in power now how their ancestors got power so uh seems really great again uh barons of the sea by stephen ujifusa and it is out now that is interesting because when you first started and you said David McCullough and Ron Chernow, I was like, oh, I'm probably out of this one, but that's fine. Other people like that stuff. And then you started talking about technology and like competitors and all of that. And I was like, oh, man, now I've, I'm like sucked back in almost. I don't know. I'm so torn now. Ugh. Anyway, all right. My first pick for this week is called Blood and Ivy, the 1849 murder that scandalized Harvard by Paul Collins. So we're getting some uh, historical true crime, which is one of my favorites. Uh, so this book is a true crime story of scandal and murder at America's most celebrated university. Um, and the reason this one caught my attention, I almost missed it. Uh, I don't know why. Um, but, and I just saw it this week, I think. Um, but Paul Collins is an author that I have read previously. He's written, I think, more than two books, but there's two that um, I remember. One is called Duel with the Devil, the true story of how Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr teamed up to take on America's first First sensational murder mystery. Um, and then another book called The Murder of the Century, the Gilded Age crime that scandalized a city and sparked the tabloid wars. Uh, and so Duel with the Devil is the one that I think I read most recently. Um, and it's great. Um, and the, so the murder story at the center of this is actually referenced in uh, the musical Hamilton, just like as a one-off line, which delights me every time I hear it because I'm like, I know what you're talking about. And it's about a guy named Levi Weeks who is accused of murder. Um, And so that book is about the trial and it's about kind of early New York City and about our early criminal justice system. And um, it's just very good. Like it's a nice, quick, deeply researched, but like very readable look at that period. So um, the new book that's out, Blood and Ivy, takes place in 1849. And uh, at that time, one of the richest men in Boston disappeared after a visit to Harvard Medical School. Uh, And so police looked everywhere for him and he just sort of vanished uh, until a janitor made some, quote, shocking discoveries in a chemistry lab at Harvard that led to a suspect. Uh, And so it ended up being that doctors at Harvard University, the medical school, had to investigate one of their own who was accused of murder. Um, And the case turned out to be one uh, landmark case in the use of medical forensics in trials in the United States. So this just like dings all of my bells and makes me really excited. Um, So I'm going to look for it at the library soon, I think. Um, The book's called Blood and Ivy, the 1849 Murder That Scandalized Harvard by Paul Collins. Oh, that sounds so good. Dang it. We had actually, I think we talked about how uh, 
I had not, I hadn't heard of it either. You said it was kind of like almost miss your radar. And I feel like we both obviously yeah. are kind of on the lookout all the time for new releases. So I don't know what happened with this one. Um, but it sounds so good. Do you remember offhand what the line from Hamilton is that they referenced the other book? Yeah. So it's in um, one of the songs, Aaron and, or Hamilton and Burr are going back and forth. And uh, they do something like, Levi Weeks is innocent. And God, I can't even, no, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's in um, the song about oh. running out of time. And um, oh my gosh, I thought he said Lemmy Winks, which is no. the name of like a hamster in a South Park episode. <laughs> no. So this. This really is clearing up a lot of mysteries just for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is great. Yeah. Thank you. That was, yeah. Oh my gosh. Your man left. Oh my gosh. I totally every time heard yes. Levy Weeks. Yeah. That's what that is. Wow. Okay. Levy Weeks. Thank you so much. That's great. <laughs> um, my, my book is very different uh, that I have uh, as the next pick, which it came out July 10th from New Press. And it is called A Bite-Sized History of France, Gastronomic Tales of Revolution, War, and Enlightenment by Stéphane Henault, and it's translated by Jenny Mitchell. Um, I tend to not like translated works because um, I think that a lot of times they can read in a really stilted way. I like to read them in their original language if possible. Um, but for many languages, that is not possible. So, um, And I looked at this one, and the translation is really fluid and nice, and um, uh, she did a great job. So I am recommending it. Essentially, what the publisher says is from the cassoulet that won a war to the crepe that doomed Napoleon, from the rebellion sparked by bread and salt to the new cuisines forged by the empire, the history of France is intimately entwined with its gastronomic pursuits. I really just wanted to say gastronomic. <laughs> um so it basically goes through a lot of, um, again, it says a bite-sized history of France. So it goes through hit the history of France and it's really short. I was looking at it, super readable, um, but also, you know, tells you about its food, which uh, obviously French food is awesome. So um, this really stuck out to me um, in, amidst a kind of a, we were talking about a, a dry season of new releases um, in the summer people tend to take a little bit of a break. Um, but this one looks really great. So again, it is a bite-sized history of France, gastronomic tales of revolution, war, and enlightenment by Stéphane Henault. That sounds really fun. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, my last new book's pick is also a food book, although definitely different than History of France. And it's called Killing It and Education by Kama Davis. Um, and this book uh, got my attention. It's a memoir. It's a food memoir. Um, and it came to my attention because Davis, she wrote a really great essay in a book I read earlier this year called Double Bind Women on Ambition. Um, and the essay is about... so. Well, so I'll go back. The memoir is about her path from being a magazine editor in Portland to attending a cooking school in France, uh, where she then connects with a family of pig farmers who take her under her wing and kind of teach her how to become a butcher and get into this food movement and, you know, local foods and all of those kind of things that are tied into that. Um, and uh, the essay in Double Bind was I think one of my favorites in the entire book, it was so great. Um, it was about her field being a woman who is a butcher. Um, and so what it means to be a woman in that environment and how she feels like even though she is young and she is new to butchery and she's not 
as maybe profound or proficient or even expert as many other people in the field. She gets a lot of attention because she's a woman in a field that there aren't traditionally women in there. Um, And so she talks about what it means to be doing that and sort of being touted as an expert and having all this attention while also feeling like she's still learning and trying to do more. Um, And so that, when I finished the essay, I remember thinking like, gosh, I wish there was more of this. Like, I want to hear more of this story. And so I was so excited when I saw that she had this memoir coming out because that's exactly what I wanted when I finished it. Um, So the book is called Killing It and Education by Kama Davis. Um, When you said that she was in France working with a a family of pig farmers. That was very unsurprising to me. I did my uh, study abroad in France for five weeks and I feel like every sandwich, they were like, well, what about ham? Do you want ham? I feel like, do you have other options? But it was, uh, yeah, a whole whole lot of ham and various uh, pig products there. Um, All right. So our next segment, do you want to introduce that? Yes. Sure. Yes. Uh, so we're going to jump into our, our, our weekly theme segment. Uh, and this week we're going to do just one long one because we got excited and wanted to talk about this topic a lot. Um, the topic is nonfiction beach reads so or summer reads. So this is nonfiction that, well, I guess I'll ask you, how do you think of a nonfiction beach read? What does that mean to you? Oh, that what a fascinating question. Um, I guess just something that you don't have to – like, for example, I know that Lin-Manuel Miranda took Ron Chernow's Hamilton to the beach and read it there, but uh, no, no to that. No, um, no, no Something no. where your brain doesn't have to engage super far. You can kind of, like, read it kind of lazily and sort of skim, but still, you know, like, be interested in uh, what the subject matter is. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's either something that is – easy that you can kind of dip in and out of or that you can read while you're not entirely paying attention or something that is just so page turning that you like do not want to, you know, get off your lawn chair and go inside because you just want to sit and finish it. So yeah, I kind of look for either super simple and easy or like very page turning for mine. Um, Cause yeah, I, I love to read by the lake or at the beach, and I try to mix nonfiction in there, even though people don't often think of nonfiction as a beach reading, which I think is a bummer. Um, a at least, has that been your experience too? Oh, yeah. I had someone like today say to me, because I was telling them, oh, yeah, we're doing, you know, like beach reads. And they were like, oh, for nonfiction? And I was like, <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I feel like people only think of nonfiction. They don't – I don't know. It's such a giantly broad category, and I don't yeah. think people realize the books that fall within that category. For sure. Yeah. So um, so my first kind of book that I often like to read at the beach uh, is a stunt memoir. Like I have a huge soft spot for stunt memoirs. Uh, and stunt memoirs are books where a person decides they're going to do something kind of insane for a period of time and then write about it. Usually it's like a year doing something and then they write a book about their year experience diving into something kind of crazy or ambitious or strange. Um, and I just like... I don't know. I just have a real soft spot for these. I find them so delightful and and odd. Um, and depending on how the angle goes, uh, sometimes they can kind of veer more into like personal development and sometimes they're just really wacky. So I have, I think, four of them that I have enjoyed and would recommend uh, stunt memoirs. Um, 
The first one is called My Year with Eleanor by Noelle Hancock. Uh, in this book, she decides to spend a year doing one thing every day that scares her uh, based on some inspiration she got from an Eleanor Roosevelt quote, which is basically do one thing every day that scares you. Um, and so the book, there's lots of really typical stuff like heights and sharks, um, public speaking. Uh, so then it's, um, But it's pretty light. So she doesn't do a lot with like emotional fear or like, um, you know, like, personal types of interactions that are are scary, like difficult conversations or whatever. It's very much like heights and sharks. Um, but I thought it was really fun and um, just like quirky and kind of chiclety and yeah. Um, so yeah, just uh, My Year with Eleanor by Noelle Hancock. Um, one of my very favorite books is this next one, Word Freak by Stefan Fatsis. Uh, and he is a journalist and he decides to spend a year trying to become a champion Scrabble player. So the whole book is like an inside look at the world of competitive Scrabble, which is just the best thing in the whole world, I think. Like, I didn't know that competitive Scrabble was a thing until I read this book. And then uh, it was just... It's just great. It's so funny. And he gets really into like strategy of Scrabble, but also like people who are competitive Scrabble players and um, what it really takes to try and like master being a champion at that game. So that one was really fun. Um, The third one is one that I feel like uh, if I can interject real quick, I feel like based on some documentaries I've seen, I am unsurprised that competitive Scrabble is a thing. Yeah, I once... Now that I've thought about it, like at the time I read the book, I was like, OMG, professional Scrabble. I can't believe this is a thing. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff that is competitive that you wouldn't expect to be, I think, for sure. Um, I just, I feel like I saw a documentary on like magic cards and like that kind of competition. And like people were like, real, it was like, you know, incredibly intense. And people were like going to the like grand finals. And it was like, everyone's got their pack already. And I was like, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know anything about it. Well, there's King of Kong, which is that documentary about playing Donkey Kong. Um, oh, it's so good. Yeah, oh, it's it great. Is. Anyway, sorry. Carry on with your <laughs> yes. list. Uh, so my third one is one that a lot of people have probably heard of, uh, The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes, uh, which, you know, Shonda Rhimes is the creator of Grey's Anatomy and Scandal, and she's a huge TV producer and executive. Um, but she writes in the book about her just anxiety and her um, – her fear of doing things. And so she decides to spend an entire year saying yes to everything. Uh, and so the book is about what it means to kind of open yourself up to trying new things. Um, and it's very, it gets on a lot of like inspirational book lists because she does have a lot of kind of inspiring messages about facing your fears and putting yourself out there and doing things you didn't think that you could. Um, but it's also just a really fun read. She's funny and she's smart and um, kind of an inside peek into what her life is like. So I like that one. Uh, the Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. And finally, another stunt, mem- stunt memoir that I enjoyed uh, is The Lunatic Express by Carl Hoffman. And this book came out a while ago now, um, and it is about his time spending, I think it was about a year, traveling on the world's most dangerous transportation systems. So, you know, airplanes and trains and boats and all sorts of different types of conveyances that are notoriously dangerous and kind of exploring what it is like to do that, but also what it is like for people who that is their base transport. That's just their expectation of transportation. So, that they don't expect to have safe roads. They don't expect to have ferries that, you know, don't <laughs> capsize or sink. Um, that that's just the way of life for them. And so it's about just kind of what it means to be doing that. So that one's a little bit more serious, but he writes in a very engaging, interesting, funny way. Um, 
So it's a, a good, good book, The Lunatic Express by Carl Hoffman. That sounds really, really good. I mean, I don't, I didn't know that stunt memoir was the phrase for that, but uh, that makes total sense. Um, and those are all. There's probably, there's probably another like official word for it, but that's what I think of them as, is stunt memoir. Oh, is that your own phrase? That's great, Kim. No, it's not my own phrase. Somebody else said that, but I think there's probably like a more academic phrase for it, but I don't know what that is. I like stun memoir. I'm still impressed. That no, you, I didn't make that. I'm up. still impressed that you knew it. Um, <laughs> just let me compliment you. Uh, I feel like when you said the year of yes, I was thinking that we should probably also do some segment at some point about um, self-help books because I feel like those are actually a really popular nonfiction uh, sort of subgenre. I, the only problem is I don't I don't read a lot of them. Um, not, I'm not saying I don't need to, uh, but it's <laughs> I just I I know that uh, I have friends that who have very strongly recommended certain of them and say that they have helped them a lot. So um, I'll uh, I'll look into that for the future. Anyway, but uh, totally changing tax from that, sort of, sort of. Hmm. Um, my category is nature and science books, uh, which is, of course, one that everyone loves. Um, I actually have found over time that I do really, really love nature books. You can maybe tell from my past picks on here, um, but just anything that really gets into either just uh, nature or animals or whatever, the world in which we live. So um, the first one doesn't totally count, but it is sort of like living peacefully in the world, which is uh, A Year in Provence by Peter Mayle. Um, Peter Mayle was, sort of became very famous for writing about his um, – his time in France. And it's just like a really nice, relaxing read, you know? So if you want to just like put yourself in this like travel memoir with like very <laughs> few consequences and like, you know, general, uh, uh, conflict and, and problems, it's just very like, I went to France with my family. Um, then yeah, a year in Provence by Peter Mayle. Uh, another one I've recommended before on here, it's the sixth extinction by Elizabeth Colbert, where she, uh, picks, um, she talks about the different sort of cataclysmic extinctions that have happened throughout human, uh, not even human, sorry, the world. That's, that's very human centric of me. Um, and how we're in the middle of the sixth extinction, which <laughs> sounds like a bummer, but it's not. Um, and I actually really liked it. I read it really quickly. Um because it's very readable. Uh, another one is Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson, which I've seen people reading on the L and seem to be really into it. Um, the L is Chicago's train system. Um, a, a quote from that, apparently, he said, in the beginning, all the space and all the matter and all the energy of the known universe was contained in a volume less than one trillionth the size of the period that ends this sentence, which it's like, right, dang. <laughs> I'm like, Ooh. yeah, he did a good job. Um, a good another one I've also recommended before is The Sound of a Wild Snail Eating by Elizabeth Tova Bailey. Uh, this is, of course, she um, was felled by a, uh, I think it was a bacterial disease, and she um, basically could almost not move for a very long time. And her friend brought a snail over, and she her whole book is just writing about her sort of life with this snail and just watching the snail. Um it's really good. <laughs> I just like, I don't know what else to say about that. It's a really short. I think a friend of mine has recommended that one. And I don't know. I just, everyone who's recommended it has been so enthusiastic about it, but it's one of those, like, I don't know, story of a snail. It's, <laughs> it's so charming. I think that if you read like 
if you even like go online and read like the book sample of like the first two pages, you'll be like, oh, I would like to read more of this. I'm just saying it's one of those books. Um, anyway, again, so Sound of a Wild Snail Eating. It's great. Uh, another is, uh, and this is a lot longer, but it's one of those that you were talking mm-hmm. about, right, that you can like dip in and out of. Um which is A Short History of Nearly Everything by Bill Bryson. I would actually probably recommend a bunch of Bill Bryson books as like beach reads. You know, he's very sort of like popular, looks into, um, I don't know, there's the history of things. Like he did the, he did At Home, right? Which is about like the history of the home, which I think we both said we own but haven't read. Is that right? No, I've read that one. Yeah. No, oh, I thought it was it. good. I liked it. Oh, well, Bill Bryson is not. Bill Ryson is not my favorite. I have feelings about him, but I did like that book. Yeah, I um I couldn't get through A Walk in the Woods, but uh, it looks like I think at home I'm going to like, and I like a short history of nearly everything, which he talks about like, you know, again, sort of like the cosmos and then, you know, the earth and all of this stuff. So um, if you want to know more about those things, pick up that. Uh, two more. One is if you're kind of like, uh, like the Debbie Downer of your group and you're like, I don't really want to spend <laughs> my summer <laughs> reading beachy type reads. Uh, I recommend The Death and Life of the Great Lakes by Dan Egan. Um, apparently, uh, the life part is very emphasized, but you also do have the death part. So um, I don't know. I was reading about it. It won all these awards. So it's also you can then talk about how you're win- like reading this award winning, depressing sometimes book. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just wanted to throw that one in. Uh, and then the last one, it's it was sort of in like people who like uh, uh, the sound of a wild snail eating also liked this book. And I started reading it and it's so cute and it is very similar in tone. Um, it's called The Soul of an Octopus. A Surprising Exploration into the Wonder of Consciousness by Cy Montgomery. Cy Montgomery is a naturalist um, and spends the whole time. It's, it's, you know, another sort of eye narrative and like learning about the octopus and like what they do and how they function. And um, it's really neat. Really like it. Um, Yeah. So those are my my nature science beach reads. Excellent. Those many of those sound great. Uh, Cool. Uh, So my other Another uh, vein of nonfiction that I tend to like for beach reads uh, is either historical true crime or like light true crime. And so by light true crime, I mean like no bats, real bad stuff happens. You know, it's, you know, stealing or something, but there's no like murders or anything like that. Um, Because like contemporary and violent true crime can freak me out depending on when I'm reading it. So if I want to take true crime, which I usually find very page turning and engaging, with me to a beach or on vacation, it has to be older. So like well beyond the time in which this person could potentially come and murder me. Oh yeah. Or it has to be about a crime that doesn't involve murdering anyone. Um, so I, it's very particular, I guess. But um, so one of the ones that I really enjoyed that I think was great as a beach read is uh, The Poisoner's Handbook by Deborah Blum, um, which I f- think maybe I've mentioned on the podcast before, but uh, it's about uh, Jazz Age New York, so 1920s, and the birth of forensic toxicology. So these two guys who are trying to figure out the poisons and trying to figure out how to stop people from murdering them using poisons. Um, And it's very, it's very good. Um, Another one that I really liked is called Empty Mansions, The Mysterious Life of Hugette Clark and the Spending of a Great American Fortune by Bill Dedman and Paul Clark Newell Jr. Uh, and this book is about a heiress named Hugette Clark who spent, despite owning giant houses, beautiful mansions across the United States, spent like the last 
15 to 20 years of her life living in a hospital. Um, and so the book is by um, Paul Clark Newell Jr. is related to her. I can't remember how now. Um, and they spend the whole time just like telling her life story and what happened to her and her family and how they went from being this incredibly rich, powerful family to this woman who basically dies alone with very few people in her life, um, but like seemingly content uh, as a invalid in a hospital. And I just, um, I just remember being really fascinated by it. Like there's not, there's not any like terrible crimes that happen, but it's just like a very interesting kind of contemporary mystery. And she is, gosh, I can't remember exactly, but I think she's taken advantage of by a relative, but it's not as depressing as it sounds. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that sounds, that sounds kind of like, um, Grey Gardens. Yeah, kind of. You know, that whole, Ooh. yeah, I think so. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, the next one is called The Girls of Murder City by Douglas Perry. Uh, this is a historical book that takes place in Chicago, and the two women at the center of it are the real-life inspirations for um, Roxy the, Hart. Uh, Velma Kelly and Roxy Hart in Chicago. Yes. I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to remember their names, and that's going to be so embarrassing. But, yes, uh, they're the kind of the real-life inspiration for the women in the musical Chicago. Um, so that one was really good and kind of fun if you know Chicago, to see kind of what the the story behind that is. Uh, another one that's probably the, um, yeah, uh, the least, uh, it's not super old and it also has a violent crime in it. So it's probably like the biggest stretch of this little mini list um, is Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil by John Berend. Uh, and this is a Southern Gothic book that's set in Savannah, Georgia. And the crime at the center of it is about the murder of a young male prostitute murdered by uh, an antiques dealer in Savannah. Um, and there are four trials before this guy was eventually acquitted of the murders because they said it was self-defense. Um, so that kind of the trial is happening as part of the storyline of this book. But a lot of it is just like this very atmospheric, descriptive, Southern Gothic type of book about what it is like to live in Savannah and the people who live there and all the like crazy things that happen there. And there's, uh, it's just very like you kind of sink into it and get into this city and this place. And I really, I liked that. And I thought that part of it was really good. Um, and the murder is not so, it didn't freak me out the way I thought that maybe it would. Cause I think it's kind of in the background of some of this other stuff. Uh, and then the final one is a true crime about not a, not a violent crime. And it's called The Man Who Loved Books Too Much by Alison Hoover Bartlett. And this is a whole book about the strange world of rare book collecting and the story of a thief, his victims, and the agent who was determined to catch him. And so, yeah, it's just about like antiquarian book thefts, which is another thing that um, for the people who have been victims of antiquarian book thefts, I am sure it is devastating and very upsetting. But if you are not part of that world, like it's just a really weird insular group to learn about. Um, and so this one is just really kind of an interesting like peek into that side of things that I think true crime that I think book nerds will definitely appreciate. So there's a few examples of either light true crime or historical true crime that I think make good beach or lakeside or summer reading. Those sounds so good. Um, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil has been on my uh, to-read list for a really long time. Is it like narrative nonfiction or is it just sort of more reporty? Uh, no, it's narrative. He had there's a lot of characters and the antique stealer, I can't remember his name, but he's a he's a character for sure. Um and then there's this uh 
there's just some really interesting people that he profiles in the book too. But yeah, it's it's narrative. I think it's yeah, that's really awesome. good. I can't remember um, what year it came out. So my uh, final category one. is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, this has been one of my favorite genres of nonfiction for forever. Uh, it is the comedy memoir, which um, is having something of a renaissance, I guess. it's Yeah, it's great. But like, there are so many coming out now that I feel like you got to kind of like so learn good. how to tell which are, you know, good and bad. Um, so I have some that I just super love. Uh, I will say off, like up front, I did not like Bossy Pants by Tina Fey. Um, I think that there were elements. I know, I know. It's it's a shocking statement uh, to make on this podcast. But um, like it was, yes. it was fine. <laughs> I think it's kind of kind of my feeling i heard i did hear from people that the audiobook was great so i think with a lot of comedians <laughs> maybe the audiobook for their memoir is the way to go um but anyway so mm-hmm. just with that caveat if you super loved bossy pants maybe some of these won't i don't know maybe you won't like them but you probably will so uh they are is everyone hanging out without me by mindy kaling uh is One of my favorite comedy memoirs of all time, Mindy Kaling, of course, wrote and starred on The Office. Um, Then she had The Mindy Project and has been in like a bunch of movies. She was in Ocean's 8. Um, She is great. Her first book. So great. Yeah. She has had a second book since then, which I didn't like as much. But Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? I had like a very trying Thanksgiving a few years ago. And I remember like going upstairs being like, I I need to not be around people for a little bit. And I just I like just sat and read the entire book. And I was like, Mindy Kaling is my friend now. So um, (laughs) I love I love that book. Anyway, um, any David Sedaris is another um, I think we've probably talked about him before, but you can start if you haven't read any of his stuff, you can start with uh, Me Talk Pretty One Day, which is uh, probably just like a classic at this point. And then um, his latest is Calypso. I think it like just came out. Yeah, Um, it's recent. It's being called like hilariously dark, I think. So I'm not sure what the content is, but um, I feel like that fits. I think with- he talks about aging and death and stuff more than in Calypso than he does his other books. As my impression of the the reviews and chatter about it. Gotcha. Okay. So if you're not in for that right now, maybe just do me talk pretty one day. Um, the another one is the Last Black Unicorn by Tif- Tiffany Haddish. Uh, I just saw a girl's trip for the first time and it's so funny. And um, Last Black Unicorn is, I was reading excerpts from it and it's great. It's it's really good. I wasn't sure what to expect. And um, she seems like she's being really vulnerable, but also funny still. And I'm just like, and obviously The Last Black Unicorn is an amazing title. Um, it is. <laughs> another is uh, Fresh Off the Boat by Eddie Wong. Um, this is his memoir that turned into the show Fresh Off the Boat that is starring him. Um, and then, of course, also uh, Constance Wu, who is going to be in Crazy Rich Asians. Yay! Um, I know. Oh, my gosh. Can I just tell you, like, Crazy Rich Asians, I am so excited I, yeah, about it. Yeah, it looks it. amazing. I mean, it's fiction, so, so whatever. But... <laughs> It's related to this Whatever. nonfiction I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, fresh off the boat. So, you know, it's like this, uh, his his story of his um, uh, family coming over and sort of integrating or not into the United States and just like retaining uh, what makes them them. And his mom, of course, is uh, a standout character. Um, 
But yeah, so I recommend that. And then one of my other top comedy memoirs that I keep coming back to in my brain whenever I think about this category is I Know I Am, But What Are You by Samantha Bee, um, which came out when she was still a uh, reporter for The Daily Show. And the front, of course, is her sitting in a bee costume. And <laughs> it's like she's talking about her um, growing up in Canada and like she used to steal cars and like all of this stuff. But I just remember, I know, I know. She had a real turnaround in her life. Wow. Um, yeah. And then she, like, you know, met her husband while they were doing some, like, insane, you know, like, poor actor gig. <laughs> and um, then later they went on to be on The Daily Show. And now they do all this stuff together. And it's great. Anyway, um, she's very funny and very smart. And um, I really love that book. So I Know I Am, But What Are You by Samantha Bee. Um, in terms of a more comic, uh, meaning, like, drawn comic. Huh get it yeah anyway um it is uh hyperbole and a half by ali brush um if you haven't read her web comic hyperbole and a half you're super missing out um she is brilliant and amazing and is able to um i feel like communicate these really complex things through her really simple like seemingly simple drawings right you know because like her um if you are not familiar with her she is the one who started like her initial cartoon was the meme for you know like blank like all the things which was originally clean all the things um i think it's i think it's fallen off in popularity in recent times but um it's a great meme Anyway, uh, so Hyperbole and a Half, she had a book come out a few years ago, and it's good. Um, And then the last one was a Kim pick, but I was looking at more excerpts in Kim. It's so funny. So uh, your judgment has totally steered you correctly. Um, This is uh, Retta's memoir, So Close to Being the Shit Y'all Don't Even Know, which just came out. Um, It's very funny. So any of those, I think, would be a fantastic beach pick. Excellent. Yeah. I have co-signed the Ali Brosh for sure. Like her pick, her drawing looks like, I think it looks like it's done in Microsoft Paint, but they are so funny and like she just gets so much into them. Um, And the memoir has lots of really funny stuff. And then it has some really touching, thoughtful things about anxiety and depression that are just spot on. It's so good. Um, Yeah. And then Mindy Kaling is great. And David, oh man, those are all so good, Alice. Excellent. Thanks. Um, yeah, so with that, we're going to wrap up talking about summer beachy beach types of nonfiction. Um, I'm sure there are tons and tons and tons of other books we might recommend or other types of categories to talk about, but I liked those four as kind of frameworks to think about uh, good nonfiction for when you just need something light and beachy and relaxing. So yeah, that was fun. I liked doing the like really quick picks of a bunch of books. That was new for us, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we've done that before. Cool. Well, hopefully other people liked it because I thought it was fun and I wrote a bunch of books you mentioned down on a list to be like, go find out more about that. (laughs) I need to write stuff down. That's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) I just got a post-it note that's got a bunch of stuff scrawled on it, so I don't know if I'll be able to read it when I'm done, but whatever. I guess we'll find out. Well, and oh, now actually would be a good time to mention that these are all, like all of the books we talk about are in the show notes um for the episodes yes so you can find those in case you don't want to like go back in your uh podcast app and be like what was the name of that yeah show notes every episode and if we miss something and you uh 
you don't hear it and or you don't see it in the show notes, you can always catch us on Twitter or something and we'll try to remember what it is we were talking about. Uh, yeah. And so with that, we're going to shift into our final segment uh, that we do every week, uh, which is the books that we are reading uh, right now. And I'm going to cheat a little bit on this one because I wanted to talk about, that I fin- about a book I finished a few days ago. Um, and it's called Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup by John Carriow. Uh, and this book is new this year. It came out in May, but I completely missed it uh, until a good friend of mine asked me if I was going to read it and said that she was getting it from the library and said that it was about this really crazy Silicon Valley biotech story. And, and then in the Book Riot back channels, people have been raving about it, that it's just like this banana pants crazy book. So I finally went and I bought it and I sat down and I read it in like three days. It was so great. Um So I should probably tell you what the book is about. (laughs) That would be helpful, wouldn't it? Um, So Bad Blood, it's the story of a Silicon Valley startup named Theranos. And they were a company founded by this 22-year-old college dropout named Elizabeth. And she um, purported to have invented this medical technology where uh, you just needed to take a finger prick of blood and then it could run all of these elaborate blood tests and basically like diagnose any illness you're you know, anything anything that might be wrong with you from a single pinprick of blood, uh, which sounds like it is too good to be true. And it turns out it actually was. And the technology that this company purported to have invented to do that just never worked. Um, but they continued to just continue on as if it did. And they signed all of these contracts with really big companies. They continued to get billions and billions millions and millions of dollars of investor startup funding. And they had this board of directors that had a ton of famous people on it. And it was just a a big elaborate fraud perpetrated by this young woman who for a while was being touted as the next Steve Jobs. Um, There's just, it's such a good book and it's so well reported. Um, The way it's laid out, the first part is kind of a story about Theranos and everything that happened there. And then the last probably third of it is this reporter saying how he got the tip to investigate this company and then what his reporting process to try and pull this whole story together was like, because it originally ran as a big series of exposés in the Wall Street Journal um, before he was able to turn it into this book. So um, it's just, it's fascinating look at Silicon Valley and biotech industry and the way that um, speculation and fear of missing out can cause people to make really ridiculous decisions about what to do with their money. Like, because there's so many moments where they sh- somebody should have been like, this technology isn't working. They, they, it doesn't. We should do something about it. And we should not be involved with this group anymore. And people just kind of declined to do that for their own reasons. Um And just tons of the details about what happened at this company and what things were like there were so strange. Um, There's one scene I remember. (laughs) I'm just going to keep talking. Um, There's one scene I remember where they, after Steve Jobs died, everybody at the company was kind of reading that big book about him. I don't remember what the author of it was. You know that giant Steve Jobs biography, though? Yeah. Everybody at Theranos was reading it. And uh, their founder, Elizabeth, was also reading it. And all of the people, at the, co- the group of people at the company could tell what chapter of the book she was on based on like what management techniques and stuff she was trying out at that particular time, um, which that's hilarious, right? Like that's so strange and just goofy. So uh, anyway, the book is called Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. And it is 
so great. And if you can get a copy of it to read, you absolutely should because it was just bananas and I loved it. That was such a good, enthusiastic review, Kim. I just want to give you props for that. <laughs> that was good. I think I read one news article about that whole situation because I have like a vague th- image in my head of like a blondish woman who was like really young. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I I had never heard of it. Like, I don't know how I missed this whole thing that I didn't even know anything about Theranos until my, my friend Aaron told me you should read this book. And then I kind of dug around and then was like, yes, I will. And now I know more than I ever wanted. And it's great. Dang. Um, well, that's a great – and you said you finished it, right? I did. Yeah, it's good. I can heartily endorse it. I can tell. That's – no, that's so <laughs> – no, that's so good. Um, my, uh, I am in the middle, meaning uh, maybe like 30 pages in. Uh, to this book, but I was I went to the Chicago Public Library, which is uh, fantastic. Everyone should go if they can. Um, and I picked this up in their Women's Suffrage in America section, which is, of course, one of my favorite sections at the Chicago Public Library. Uh, but I was really excited because this is um, there was actually like a subsection that I hadn't seen, and it addresses this thing that was such a big problem in. Um, 19th century women's rights, uh, which is that it essentially was happening at the same time as um, black rights were sort of like coming up. And like we were trying to have like black male suffrage, you know, get passed. And um, a lot of, not even a lot of, Elizabeth Cady Stanton sort of took this divide and was saying instead of like, oh, this is everyone should have these rights. Everyone should be able to vote. um, She saw it as us versus them. And uh, it got extraordinarily ugly. So this book is called Fighting Chance, The Struggle Over Woman Suffrage and Black Suffrage in Reconstruction America. Um, I felt like the author uh, did not come here to play when I opened it. And the first the first line is she dipped her pen into a tincture of white racism. And I was like, dang. So um, it seems really... Exactly. I know. Uh, No one likes Elizabeth Cady Stanton. I feel like I've said that before. Uh, She wrote some really brilliant things, like in terms of just like women, straight up women's rights. She wrote some great things. Um, Frederick Douglass was at the Seneca Falls Convention. Susan B. Anthony wasn't there. Frederick Douglass was. And he signed the Declaration of Sentiments that said, you know, all men and women are created equal. But um, she and like later when Elizabeth Cady Stanton was saying awful things, he kind of was like, because they were friends. So he was, and he was so nice that I feel like he didn't, he didn't quite know what to do, but like she was, oh gosh. So it's very, uh, it focuses on him and it focuses on Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And I'm excited to get further into it. Uh, Again, that is fighting chance, the struggle over woman suffrage and black suffrage in reconstruction America. Oh, and it's by Faye Dudden. Interesting. That one sounds really right in your wheelhouse of books that you are interested in. Like, like straight down the middle, I think. Excellent. Exactly. And with that, we are finished with this week's episode. Uh, so that was uh, that was fun. Thank you for podcasting again this week, Alice. What? Oh, yeah. For, for We're sure. concluding. Um, oh, we are concluding. Yes. Okay. Goodbye, everyone. No. Um, <laughs> if you want to, uh, if you want to uh, ask us about any of the books on here, if you have any questions, comments, whatever, you can find us on social media. Um, on Twitter, I am at it's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Yes, 
And if you have enjoyed this episode, we would encourage you to rate and review the podcast on iTunes because that helps people find us more easily. Uh, and you can subscribe in the podcast of your choice so that you can get your our new episodes the very minute that they come out. And um, so with that, I'm Kim Ukara. And I'm Alice Burton. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.